Good morning. Uh, we're in Galatians 1, 1 to 9. <clears throat> it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you in a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby. Youth Church guys, you can head out. And for the rest of us, uh, I'd like to know, have you ever bought a counterfeit? Have you ever been suckered into buying something that was turned out to be fake? I did this week, actually. In fact, it was for church. In fact, it's just over here. Because we needed a new microphone at church, and so I decided to buy one. And I bought the Shure SM58. And if you've ever had anything to do with music or performance, you'll probably know that microphone. It's very common, very popular. It's, it's just a reliable, good quality microphone. And I saw it online for a little bit cheaper, and so I decided to buy that instead of going to the local music shop. But when it arrived, uh, there was something that just seemed a little bit off about the packaging. It wasn't drastically wrong. It seemed, you know, it seemed legit. It wasn't like full of spelling mistakes and stuff like that. But it just didn't quite seem to have the quality that you'd expect from this kind of microphone. And so I just decided, had a little niggling feeling, and so I started Googling it. As it turns out, there's an article on the Shaw website telling you that there are actually a lot of these counterfeit microphones. And as I read and I watched some videos, and it actually took quite a while, I discovered that this microphone here is not the real deal. It's a fake. Now, it's a very good fake. There was articles online about fake ones, and they just looked like trash. This one is not like it. It looks very very authentic. The, the differences are so subtle. The differences I found were there was a wire that was the wrong colour, there was a sticker that shouldn't have been there, and it weighs 60 grams less than the real one. The differences are really hard to spot, but only one of them is real. And from what I've read, we'll be lucky if this one lasts a few weeks. Now, uh, my story has a fairly happy ending because I've already got my money back and I still have the microphone. But we'll see what happens with it. Sometimes, however, counterfeits can be a lot more dangerous. I read stories this week of counterfeit food products that had things in them that were not food. I read stories this week of counterfeit 
aircraft parts. You can imagine how badly that could go. I also read a very troubling story about a very large operation of counterfeit contraceptives. Counterfeits can be dangerous. Well, this morning, we're beginning a new series in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and the Christians in Galatia were people who had bought a fake, a counterfeit. Not a fake Rolex, not some dodgy sunnies. The Christians in Galatia had bought a counterfeit gospel. They were putting their faith in a message that looked good. It sounded godly. But in reality, not only was it a poor imitation of the gospel, it was a dangerous one. And instead of resulting in freedom and life and hope, it actually would result in condemnation and guilt. So we're going to spend some time this morning learning, taking a closer look at this fake gospel and also at the true gospel because you can't recognise a fake unless you know the real thing. And we're going to spend some time at the end trying to see how we can make sure that we don't fall into a similar trap as the Galatians. Uh, But before we do that, I'm going to pray. So would you pray with me? Now, Father, we praise you that you have revealed to us the true gospel in your word. And we pray as we read now from your word that you would give us clarity on the truths of the gospel, that you would make us aware of the points at which we are prone to wander from it. And Lord, would you give us, work in us by your spirit so that we may believe the true gospel with all our hearts, and that we may trust in you completely. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that in us, because it's good for us and it brings you glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking at Galatians, Galatians is one of the earliest letters we have in the New Testament. We, We don't get a date written on it, but we expect that it was written around 50 AD. So this is less than 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. So it's very early in the New Testament and it begins, as you notice, like any other first century letter. In those days, when you wrote a letter, you began with your name. And so in verse 1, we have Paul, an apostle. Now, an apostle is just a kind of normal word for an ambassador or an envoy, someone who's sent out to act on the authority of someone else. We have apostles in Canberra, representatives from every country on the planet, almost, soon to not be the Russian one. I think we're sending him home. But we call them ambassadors. They're apostles. They're sent out with the authority of someone else. But Paul's not an apostle of a government. He's not an apostle of any human, for that matter. He calls himself an apostle sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, that's really important. We're going to come back to that. But it's a letter written by Paul. It's written, verse 2, to the churches in Galatia. That's Galatia there, that little shaded region. Uh, To get your bearings, most of that region at the top is modern-day Turkey. So it's a Roman province in the middle of modern-day Turkey there. And the blue line that you see, that's Paul's first missionary journey that we can read about in Acts 13 and 14. 
So as you can see there, Paul has visited a bunch of cities in Galatia. There's Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. We learn that lots of the people, this is in Acts 13 and 14, we learn that lots of the people in those cities, both Jews and non-Jews, believed Paul's message. We also learn that in these places, Paul was really, really strongly opposed. In Antioch, there were Jews who were jealous of him and they drove him out of the city. In Iconium, there were other Jews who plotted to kill him. And then when Paul escaped to Lystra, people from Antioch and Iconium followed him there and you know, kind of uh, stirred up a mob and they actually dragged him outside the city and stoned him. And they thought he was dead, but he got back up. And what did he do? He went back into the city to preach the gospel. How cool is that? Even in the face of that opposition, churches in Galatia were growing. And so now Paul's writing them a letter. So we've got the author, we've got the recipients. The next step in every single first century letter is a greeting, and Paul gives us one in verse 3. He says, grace and peace to you. But this is where things change. Because in every one of Paul's other letters, the very next thing he does is give thanks to God for the people he's writing to. He prays for them. He does it in Romans. He does it in Ephesians. He even does it in 1 Corinthians. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, they're an absolute basket case of a church. Everything is wrong in the church in Corinth. They're fighting with each other. They're suing one another. They're getting drunk and oppressing one another. They're sleeping around. And even to that church, Paul finds something to thank God for but not the Galatians. He doesn't thank God for them. He doesn't pray for them. Instead, he expresses his disgusted surprise because the Galatians have believed a false gospel. Take a look in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Here Paul tells us that evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's all the information we get here. Later on in the letter, we'll learn that the nature of this false gospel was one of the Jews teaching that to be saved by Jesus, people had to trust Jesus and keep the law of Moses, which included being circumcised. And so the Galatians, it seems, have, have embraced this message. They've said, yes, we are saved by faith in Jesus and obeying the law. Now, we're going to come back to the specifics of that false gospel later in the series. But right now, there's kind of two things we need to see. The first thing that we need to see is that adding anything to the message of the gospel only subtracts from it. By saying that Christians need to believe in Jesus and be circumcised, that Christians need to believe in Jesus and keep the law, these people are actually perverting the gospel. 
They're undoing the gospel. They're reversing the gospel. They're making the gospel not good news. Because when you add to the gospel, and it doesn't matter what you add, over the years people have added all sorts of things to the gospel, but when you add anything, what you're really saying is that Jesus' work on the cross isn't enough. You need more. And very often the thing that we think we need is something that we think we can provide. Now this brings us to the second thing Paul shows us here, which is that believing a false gospel is not merely an information problem, it's a relationship problem. You see, the problem isn't that the Galatians have just got their facts wrong. The problem is that they've abandoned Jesus. By believing that they need to keep the law to be saved, the Gentiles are deserting not a body of information, they're deserting the one who called them. They're deserting Jesus. They're they're abandoning, rejecting, saying, I don't need the very person who laid down his life for their salvation. They're saying to Jesus, I don't need you. Even though with their mouths they are kind of saying, I do need you, but I also need to keep the law, which is effect saying, I don't need you. And there is a big problem with that. They do need him. They're acting as if they are able to save themselves. But the thing we need to see is that it's complete helplessness. The total inability for us to do anything to save ourselves that lies at the heart of the true gospel. And so we're going to come back to the false gospel later on in our series. But right now, we need to look at the true gospel. I'm told that uh, bankers learn to identify fake money by studying real money. You, You don't just keep looking at the fake. All that teaches you is what a fake looks like. You need to know the real thing. And so we need to look at the real gospel to be able to understand where the false gospels go wrong. Paul knows this, and that's exactly why he began his letter with the gospel. But you might not have noticed it. It's in verse 3 and 4, which we often just skim over because it seems like a sort of, you know, the formalities. It's a greeting. Grace and peace to you. It's, it seems like, you know, empty niceties. But it's the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, verse 3 tells you. What is the gospel? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. First of all, it's grace. It's not something you earn, not something you buy, not something that you deserve. It's something you were given. Grace is the cause of the gospel. The effect of the gospel is peace grace and peace. We are given peace with God. The war that our sin wages against God is ended. There is peace and not not just a ceasefire. No, no, no. Two enemies don't just kind of, you know, settle scores with each other and part ways. No, no. We become friends. (laughs) Us, the enemies, are invited into God's family. That's the kind of peace that the gospel brings. The cause of the gospel is grace. The effect, the result of the gospel is peace. And in verse 4, we get the means of the gospel. The process that connects the cause to the effect. How does God's grace result in peace with God? Through a rescue. 
If you've watched the news this week, you'll have seen the flooding down south. And like with any flood, there are people who needed rescuing. And the thing about being rescued is that it's not something you do. It's something that is done to you. The guy who gets airlifted from the roof of his house isn't about to go... uh, Sorry, the, the guy who's getting airlifted from the top of his house that's about to go underwater. He doesn't tell everyone that he saved himself. He doesn't go about and say, what a good job that I did of choosing to get in the helicopter. No, he didn't do anything. He was helpless. He was hopeless. Help came to him. Well, friends, the Christian is not someone who chooses to follow Jesus. The Christian is not someone who does something to earn God's favour. No, the Christian is the one who couldn't do anything. The thing that should define us as followers of Jesus is that we are helpless, hopeless. We couldn't do anything. We were completely powerless. And Jesus came and rescued us. He rescued us from the present evil age, the realm of Satan's control. He rescued us from that. And he rescued us by giving himself to us. Substituting himself in our place. Taking upon himself the shame and the guilt and the punishment that was owing to us. And giving to us the glory and the inheritance that was owing to him. Friends, that's the true gospel. It begins with grace, it comes through a rescue, it results in peace. And the gospel that the Galatians had been carried away by wasn't a gospel at all because it contradicted these things. By believing that they could be saved by obeying the law, they believed it wasn't grace. It was merit. They deserved it. They did something to achieve it. They denied the fact that they needed rescuing. They believed they were capable of doing something to affect their own rescue. And so what they effectively did was stay on the rooftop. The helicopter came by and they said, oh, no, 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 we're good. We've got this. And friends, the the floodwaters will come. The false gospel doesn't result in peace. It results in condemnation. But what do we do with all this? Because my hunch, and I might be wrong, but my hunch is that none of you are ever tempted to be saved by obeying the law of Moses or getting circumcised. I don't think that's your problem. It's not the problem of our age. It's not the false gospel of our age. If someone walked into our church this week and told you that to be right with God, you needed to go and get circumcised or you need to obey the Torah, you would just ignore them, right? I don't think many of us would be convinced. The false gospel that the Galatians were tempted by is not one that we are likely to encounter, but there are other false gospels in our day and age. False gospels that we may be tempted to believe, false gospels that are not easy for us to identify. For example, there are false gospels that deny the grace of the gospel. They teach you that to be saved, you need to do something. That you need to be obedient to God. 
You might have even seen it and it would be dressed up as you need to obey the Ten Commandments to be right with God. That's a false gospel. You don't need to obey the Ten Commandments. You can't obey the Ten Commandments. The gospel tells you you couldn't do it. You needed God's grace. You might be tempted to believe a false gospel that teaches that you're saved because of your faith, that you need to have enough faith and that you need to work at making sure you have enough faith to be saved. And you're denying God's grace when you believe that. When we believe that we can bring something to the table to affect our salvation, effectively what we're doing is standing on the roof of the house as the floodwaters rise and the helicopter comes and we wave it away and say, I can swim. But we can't swim. There are also false gospels that deny the rescue of the gospel. This happens when we believe that sin is not really a problem. It's the kind of teaching that says, oh, everyone can be saved. There are many paths to heaven, we just need to love. Do you see what that does? That denies that sin is a problem and therefore we don't need rescuing. We don't have a problem. There is no disaster. You might be tempted to believe that message. That all religions point to the same place. No, they don't. There is one gospel. There are also gospels that deny the peace of the gospel. They'll deny grace, they'll deny the rescue, they'll also deny the peace and, or the result of the gospel. They substitute peace with some other goal. We see this really clearly in the prosperity gospel. Prosperity teaching will say that, no, the, the, the aim of the gospel is not that you have peace with God. No, the aim of the gospel is that you live a healthy, wealthy, happy life. And I hope that none of you are tempted by that. It's a complete misinterpretation of Scripture, a twisting of Scripture. But there's actually a a more subtle and more prevalent version of it that actually is in all our churches. It gets given a cool title. You probably never heard it. It's called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. There was a study done in America about 20 years ago and they sort of concluded that this was the dominant theology of teenagers in America at the time, when I was a teenager, effectively. I don't think it's restricted to teenagers. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. It believes that there is a God, that he created the world, that he's good and he wants us to be good, loving, fair people. Sounds like Christianity. It believes that... God is there to help us, which sounds like Christianity. But what it does is it reduces God to someone who is there to make you feel better about yourself. It's therapeutic. And that's in our churches. You'll hear people talk about God as if he's just there to make them feel good about themselves, to make their lives that little bit better. And we need to be wary of the danger because it's not the gospel. First of all, it denies grace. It kind of says that we just need to try and be good. It denies the rescue. It denies the result. It distorts the gospel at every level. And we need to be wary of it. But how do we know that we've got the right gospel? There are distortions of the gospel. How do we know we've got the right one? 
Well, we can hold it up against the gospel of grace and rescue and peace. But there's something else that we can do, and, and Paul points it out, and he makes it, he, he comes back to this point again and again in the letter. We need to look at the one who's bringing us the message. Because there is only one legitimate authority when it comes to the gospel. Only one source of truth. And it's Christ himself. You notice in verse 1 and 2, Paul makes this really determined to show that his authority doesn't come from himself. And it doesn't come from any other human, but from Jesus himself. He doesn't say, I come to you sent from the church in Antioch, which he had done. The church actually sent him out. But he just says, no, no, they are not the ones who gave me the message. I got the message from Jesus himself. The reason that the Galatians should believe the gospel that Paul first taught them is because Paul was sent to them by Jesus himself. And it's the same reason that in verse 8 to 9, Paul says that there is no other authority which should lead them to believe a different gospel. He says, even if I come back to you and preach a different gospel, ignore it, reject it, kick me out. He says, an angel from heaven can come in and if they tell you a different gospel, kick them out. <laughs> Let them be under God's curse. There is only one authority. It is Jesus himself. Now, you know what that means? That means the way that we decide what is true about Jesus is not what I teach you. Now, I, let me be clear there. I hope that what I teach you is the true gospel. I am convinced that it is, that you cannot trust me because I can get things wrong. The way that you decide what is true about Jesus is not what the church teaches the Roman Catholic Church will tell you that it has the authority to tell you what is true, and it's a lie. The church does not have the authority. Jesus has the authority. I can be wrong. The church can be wrong. And here's, here's the real clincher. Your own feelings can be wrong. So it's important. Your feelings are good. Feelings are helpful. But feelings cannot be our guide in what is true and right about Jesus. Our feelings can lead us astray. And so if you want to make sure that you've got the true gospel, if you want to make sure that you've got the real deal and not a dangerous fake, you need to listen to the authority of Jesus and his apostles. So I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us do that. I'm going to pray that he would help us discern the false gospels that we might be tempted to believe. I'm going to pray and thank God for the true gospel. So would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. Uh, we praise you for this news that it is not anything that we could do. Not in anything that is in us, but purely by your grace and the finished work of Christ that we can find freedom and life and hope in you. Father, we praise you for this because we know deep down that if it was up to us, we would be lost forever. We know that if we had to obey laws, we wouldn't be able to do it. We know that if we had to have rock-solid faith, we would fail. And so we praise you that in your love and your kindness, you came to rescue us. Lord, never let us vary from that message. 
Never let us be tempted by a false gospel that promises something but can't deliver. Remind us that it is by grace that we are saved. Remind us that that grace was given to us when Jesus gave himself for us to rescue us from our sin. Remind us that the result of that is that we have peace with you, a peace that will last forever, a peace where we enjoy fellowship with you in perfection. Lord, keep us focused on that gospel. Help us to discern the lies that we will hear. Help us to discern the lies that we hear from our own hearts. May we treasure your gospel and follow it for all the days of our lives. And we pray this for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.